It's hard to know exactly where the song starts here in Psalm 6, or rather what kind of song this is, you know, what it should sound like. But that's what it is if we read the little text at the start of this psalm. It's for the choir master, this psalm. It's for the choir master. It's a public song for the choir master to lead us in to be played with stringed instruments. So what do you imagine this song might sound like if we were to to take these words and set them to music and then sing these words in church? When I think of stringed instruments, at least in the context of the Bible, I guess, I think of gentle harps, soothing nylon strings. And look, I know there are some pretty peaceful modern renditions of this psalm floating around out there, but as I look again more closely through these lyrics that we just read, somehow I don't think this song is really meant to sound that peaceful, like a, a lullaby. I mean... Verse 1, O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. This sounds like it would fit better with electric guitars, you know, with the distortion pedal crunched on. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled, but you, O Lord, how long? It hardly feels like David is singing here at all. It's more like he's writhing in agony, emotionally, physically, spiritually. David is just groaning. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled until he just can't find the words anymore. But you, O Lord, how long? And we're going to finish that line for him. Sometimes in life there just aren't any words. Sometimes it feels like there is no song that could possibly capture what we're going through. Times when we're just feeling destroyed by life. Times of crushing loss, overwhelming grief and sadness, awful pain or sickness, unbearable shame. Times when, far from singing, all we can do is cry out in anguish. How long, Lord? How long? What are we supposed to do at times like that? How do you get through times like that? The book of Psalms is more than a book of songs. It shows us life lived captures all the various emotions of our human experience, the ups and the downs, and and it shows us that all along the way through life, whatever we're going through, we can talk to God about the things that we're going through. And sometimes we're going through suffering. Because, you know, it's not like Christians are given a magical get-out-of-pain card when they become Christians. I mean, some people think like that. God is some kind of genie who just grants our every request for health and wealth and well-being. 
But the Bible actually explains that suffering is just an inherent reality in this fallen world. And, and so it's normal for the Christian to experience suffering. So why do we keep falling for the idea that our suffering is, uh, I don't know, unexplainable? Or, or, or that we shouldn't feel like this? Or that somehow we're the only ones who ever seem to suffer? It's normal to experience suffering. It's a part of life for everyone. And yet we do often respond like that, don't we? And when we do respond like that, we, ta- we take on another layer of hardship over the top of our hardship. We, we hide, don't we? We withdraw. We, we turn enemy on ourselves and, and take on all this extra unrealistic shame and misery about the very fact that we're feeling shame and misery in the first place. And it can get real messy, can't it? Suffering. We are very complex people. We are complex body, mind, heart and soul beings. And so whether it starts as physical or mental or emotional or or spiritual suffering, the other parts of our life often fall down along with it as well. But we don't go through suffering alone. The psalm writer here, David, teaches us that God is there all the while and that we should therefore call out to God even from the depths of our despair and misery. So let's push on and see if we can find the song here that David is singing in Psalm 6. He moves from writhing in the first few verses to now wrestling in verses 4 and 5. Turn, O Lord, deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. For in death there is no remembrance of you, in Sheol who will give you praise. David is wrestling and pleading with God here. I mean, he's basically bargaining by verse 5, isn't he? Save me, God, because then I will be able to live and praise you. And Wouldn't that be good? This is King David, of course. So this psalm is about 3,000 years old. And we don't know when in David's life he wrote this psalm or, or what exactly had happened. All we can see is that he was going through a very dark time. Whatever was going on, I reckon he's just nailing this common human experience of suffering with these lyrics here, isn't he? I mean, look at the depths of darkness that he's in in verse 6 here. I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with weeping. My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows weak because of all my foes. Again, this is King David, but... He shows us here, not a king, but an ordinary human being, stripped of all dignity, a blubbering mess, distraught to the point of death as he feels, weeping until his eyes can weep no more. He's as familiar with suffering as the rest of us. And his blunt language teaches us a couple of very important things about prayer at times like this. First, we should always and certainly turn to God in prayer. And second, our 
prayer can be completely, honestly, raw. There's no sense of polish here, is there? It's just raw pleading and mourning. Maybe hard for us to see what kind of song this stuff makes for, but it sure is a relief to know that we can be so raw, so real in our conversations with God like this. Because sure, this is a song on one hand, as Psalms are. I mean, that's what Psalms are. But so too, this is a prayer. This is a prayer for David. In the middle of his distress, he is pouring everything out to God. What happens to your prayer life when the rest of life falls apart? When things are bleak? And overwhelming when darkness and sorrow washes over you and keeps washing over you. What happens to your prayer life at times like that? For most of us, when suffering comes for us, it sometimes takes out our prayer life with it. At the very time we need prayer the most. David is teaching us in this psalm. He's helping us to refocus as to how we can respond to our suffering. He shows us here not not just that we can and should continue to meet God in prayer, but what it might look like to keep praying to God in the face of such suffering. And it looks pretty blunt, doesn't it? David isn't holding anything back here. He's not sugarcoating his words at all, is he? Then we come to what suddenly looks like it might be some kind of, I don't know, 3,000-year-old cut-and-paste error. Did they have those 3,000 years ago? I don't know, in verse 8. Something as if this next bit fell out of a different psalm in the songbook somewhere else. Verse 8. Depart from me, all you workers of evil, for the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled. They shall turn back and be put to shame in a moment. David sounds like a different man all of a sudden. Suddenly he knows that his weeping has been heard, his prayer has been heard, and how is verse 9 there? (laughs) He confidently declares that his prayer has been accepted by the Lord. And yet there's no sense that his suffering has gone away just yet. And actually, if you if you read it all there, it sounds like it hasn't gone away because he's still using future verbs there in verse 10 about his enemies. So it's not that his ordeals have ended, but that eventually they will end. And so the misery is still there for the time being, but his whole perspective has somehow shifted. And we might wonder at that. How how does he arrive at that new perspective all of a sudden? Well, first of all, we can't be sure that it was all of a sudden. Or at least as suddenly as the song lyrics here make it feel. David probably hasn't captured here in these ten short lines everything that was going on. So for all we know, this actually transitioned quite slowly for him at the time. And so you and I shouldn't be distressed if if our suffering doesn't turn around so suddenly like this in this song. 
David might have been caught up in this wrestle for months or, or even years for all we know. But nevertheless, we've got to try to figure out David's experience here as to how the song does turn around for him. And to do that, I think we've actually got to step back from this little psalm and, and get a wider view and understand David more fully. We've got to tap into David's underlying theology, his wiring, what we know of him from elsewhere. And here's what I reckon it comes down to. He knows that his prayer has been heard and received because he knows that he can rely upon God's goodness. And in fact, there's a, there's a hint of that even in this psalm. He knows that his prayer has been heard and received because he knows that he can rely upon God's steadfast love. Verse 4. God's steadfast love. He knows that God is good and faithful and loves him. He knows that the ultimate promise of God is certain. He knows that nothing will separate him from this steadfast love that God has, not, not this Christ of suffering that he's going through, nor any others yet to come. And so David's unpolished prayer, full of such emotion, has, has gradually refocused his circumstantial grief onto his eternal hope and comfort in the truth of God, what God has promised for those who trust in him. David knows how good God is. And that changes everything. You see, here's the difference between the suffering someone who has God in their life encounters and the suffering that someone who doesn't have God in their life goes through. Both of them are going to encounter suffering. That, that's not even the question. Of that, there, there can be no doubt. Both the believer and the unbeliever in this life will go through times of utter darkness. The difference is the ultimate goodness of God for the believer. Because the person who has a relationship with the living God knows that in the eternal frame of reference, they are destined to spend eternity without suffering. Without suffering. And that truth about our eternal security and peace changes our whole mindset in the trials and sufferings and grief that we encounter in this short lifetime. The person who doesn't have a relationship with the living God doesn't have that eternal frame of reference. So their current suffering and distress is all they can really see. And therefore, it can altogether crush them and in fact, the final outcome for those who don't belong to God is that they will face an eternity of suffering just like this, even worse than this, because they won't have God and, and they will be forever cut off from God and all of his goodness. But David is the other kind of person. David has a relationship with God and an eternal perspective of peace and comfort to therefore look forward to. And that knowledge sustains him. In the depths of his suffering in the here and now, that truth sustains him. It doesn't matter whether his, his suffering eases or not in the here and now. He, he's got a bigger picture to put it all 
into its proper place. In fact, I reckon Psalm 6 might have made for some pretty good lyrics for a death metal song, except for the fact that throughout the whole thing, more than ten times by my count, the the singer keeps naming or, or speaking about his God. The God who he knows is with him all the while and is watching over him all the while and is even sovereign over everything he's going through. The person who has a relationship with the living God can see above their suffering to the God who loves them and has their future securely in his hand. David knows God is sovereign over his suffering and that it can be used for his good. In fact, if we come back to verse 1 at the start, perhaps David is asking for that very thing. God, let this not simply come on me from your anger and your wrath. Let it be, in the end, for my good, because of your steadfast love for me. fact that we don't know David's exact situation here actually works right into our favour because the broad and generic language that he uses instead lends itself to all kinds of situations that we might find ourselves in. So we can borrow these lyrics word for word we can borrow these lyrics if we want in, in all kinds of scenarios and even if only a verse or two seems applicable at the time we can borrow this song. Jesus did that, by the way. Jesus borrowed just a phrase or two from here on a couple of occasions. And even if we just do that, a phrase or two, even if we just borrow the concept here and and come up with our own words altogether, it is good for us to learn how to pray. Learn somehow how to even sing as we push through our own suffering in this life. So I want to encourage you today that Psalm 6 can become your prayer. It's a one-minute read, but you can meditate on a psalm like this and you can draw strength from a psalm like this in the midst of your suffering. You can repurpose or reword the lament in this song for your own situations. And I don't know what your trials will look like, of course, past, present or future. But I do know that you should expect them. Because this is the simple reality of life. As a routine part of life, Christians suffer. So know from this psalm and from the rest of Scripture, of course, that your suffering is not only somehow on you, as it can often feel. No, No, this is common to all. And know too from this psalm that whatever battlefield you are fighting on, whether it's grief or pain or sin or shame or or any other, you should pour out your sorrows to God in prayer. And you can do that openly and honestly. God doesn't just want to hear your fancy Sunday prayers. He wants to hear your everyday prayers. You're in the thick of it prayers. You're straight up what you're feeling words. It's a relationship that you have with God. And you know, 
Your relationship with God can be more genuine and it should become more and more genuine over the course of your life than the relationships you have with other people. If you've put your trust in God, then you have got God on the other end of everything 24-7 and and he wants to hear everything from you. And especially at times like this, when you need him so much. If you don't believe in God, then I want to I want to urge you on the back of this psalm to, to think a bit more about why that is. Think about this psalm and think about the suffering of this life that we're talking about and ask yourself this, why do I not want an eternity free from this kind of misery? Because that's actually what's on offer to you by the this steadfast love and the, and the promise of God that's written all through this Bible. If you will come to God in, in humble repentance and complete dependence and trust him with your life and soul then in Jesus' name you are offered forgiveness and an eternal life to look forward to without this suffering and sorrow that's just all too familiar in your here and now. So think about this psalm and think about the long view of what's at stake. You see, ultimately, suffering is part of the fallout of sin. It's not to say that our suffering uh, here and there necessarily arises from our own sin here and there. On the contrary, our suffering may come from someone else's sin. Just as our sin causes suffering for others. And so too the world around us is, is just broken. Now it generates all kinds of problems for us as a consequence of our collective sin and yet there it is all of it goes back to sin we rebelled against our creator and now everything is out of whack the cosmos is groaning everything's out of whack but there won't be suffering in the new creation because nor will there be sin to open that up for us, that new creation without sin or suffering that we're looking forward to, to open that up for us, Jesus himself first had to endure a kind of suffering that we can't even comprehend. So I want to close by telling you about one of those times that Jesus borrowed from this psalm. To give you another insight into the God who really does know our suffering firsthand in the middle of John's Gospel in chapter 12 at a point in the narrative where Jesus switches over from his earthly ministry to begin preparing for the cross that he came for and he borrowed from this psalm when he said now is my soul troubled it's John 12 27 now is my soul troubled Jesus himself expressed the grief in verse 3 of our psalm. But he knew that he had to endure that for us.
Now is my soul troubled, he said, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose I have come to this hour. And then in the Garden of Gethsemane, he continued to agonize and he poured out his emotion in prayer. And the, the teaching of this psalm again comes to mind as we think of Jesus weeping in anguish there. The cup of suffering that Jesus had to drink was terrifying for him and so unright and unfitting for him to take on. But he, he took it, he endured it for us to be set free from this sin and suffering in this fallen world. So when you do find yourself praying to God in the midst of your agony, in the suffering of this life, know that he acquainted himself with such suffering to prepare that glory that he now has in store for you. still can't quite hear the song in this psalm. But I reckon I can feel it. And I hope you can too. And perhaps we can see a challenge in this together as, as God's people. How can we better empathise with and, and support one another through grief? I mean, if suffering is common to all of us, then how can we also now connect together somehow around suffering, better share the experience and, and care for and love and support one another? Can we somehow turn around this unfortunate dynamic where, where people who are suffering withdraw and feel, you know, the last place they feel they can go is into church right when they need help the most? How can we pursue a church culture where the crushed and broken and overwhelmed feel welcome in church? And, and where no matter who they are or what they've done or, or what it is that they're going through, they will experience real love and fellowship when they do come. See, I keep coming back to the fact that this psalm was written as a public song for the choir master to lead us in together. So how can we sing this kind of stuff as a church? Plenty for us to think about. But for now, let me pray. Heavenly Father, We know that you know us and we know that you love us. And so please, Father, teach us to keep asking you for help when, when we go through suffering in our life. Help us not to withdraw and close down. Father, for those of us here today who, who are suffering, we pray that you would strengthen their faith and draw them deeper into relationship with you. Please continue to be gentle with them. And where you are willing, when you are willing, please heal and bring comfort to them. 
And always, Father, whenever any of us go through suffering, please comfort us and refocus us on your eternal promise to us. Fix our eyes on the things above, the things yet to come. And thank you that it is to come. Thank you for for saving us out of this sin. Thank you for the infinite shame and suffering that you took on to do that for us. In your son Jesus, who who suffered and and died to take the shame of judgment that, that should have fallen on us. So help us now to look forward to the glorious heaven that that you have prepared for us. In the meantime, help us to learn how to love and support each other, despite all the suffering in and around us all. Help us to do church. In Jesus' name, Amen.